Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Okay, let's spend a few minutes on the mercy seat. We are in lesson three of our God of All Comfort study. We're in the month of November. This is dig a bit number two. Mercy, one of the most beautiful concepts, one of the most needed concepts for mankind that we can possibly contemplate. There's great comfort and security in thinking about the mercy of our Heavenly Father, the Father of mercies. So we ask um, us to read Exodus 25 and to look at the part of that chapter that focuses on the mercy seat. And so if you'll be turning to Exodus 25, we'll be there for just a minute. And we will begin with verse 20, the cherubims. We're talking about the Ark of the Covenant now. The cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. And you shall put the mercy seat above on the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Prior to that, we have some instructions about how to make the mercy seat and how to make the cherubims and where they face each other and their wings are spread over the Ark of the Covenant, but here we have specifically said that you're going to put the mercy seat up on top of the ark, under the cherubims, on top of the ark, and in the ark you will put the testimony that I will give you, and that is the tables of stone. We know that from looking at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 4. We'll turn there real quickly because we're going to be in Hebrews 9 a few times during this study. But in Hebrews 9 verse 4, we read, let's just start in 3, After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant and over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. So we have the definite indication here that the Ark of the Covenant contained at times three things, the rod that budded, the pot of manna that never got old, and the tables of the covenant, the law. So that was what was in the Ark of the Covenant. And then you were to read Galatians 3 and highlight the part of the chapter that shows us that everybody was condemned under the old law. Well, verses 10 to 12 says there in Galatians 3, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Reinforce that when we look at the book of James chapter 2 and verse 10, and many other places as well, but here it says, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. So it was impossible for the Jews to keep the entire covenant without ever missing anything in the covenant. And what it says here, therefore, is they are guilty under the old law. They are guilty of transgression of trespass under the old law because if you are guilty in one point you are guilty in all points 
So in the Holy of Holies then, what was between God and the commandments which condemned man? Well, obviously, there is a passage, I need to look this up. I'll include this when we get to the podcast, but it says God was between the cherubim. So what was between God and the tables of stone? Well, in between God and the tables of stone, obviously, was the mercy seat. In the Holy of Holies, we have God between the cherubim, we have the mercy seat beneath that, and then under the mercy seat, in the Ark of the Covenant, we have the tables of stone that had the law on them. I think that's very interesting because God said, I'm going to meet you at the mercy seat to give you my commandment, but yet it's called the mercy seat. Do you see how truth and justice are, where justice and mercy are meeting here, where truth and grace are coming together, where law and forgiveness are coming together at the mercy seat? God instructs at the mercy seat. The law, the commandments are beneath the mercy seat, but yet it's called the mercy seat. So there is a sense in which, an illustrative sense, in which the mercy seat there was coming between God and the commands. It was only through mercy that God could look on that old law that was in that ark because it was through His mercy that the people could continue on with their forgiven lives in the old law. Now it says read Leviticus 16 and notice what had to cover the mercy seat once yearly and what had to be applied to it. Why did this have to be done until Christ died on the cross and how did the how did mercy meet justice at this spot above the commandments of the old law? Well verse 16 of Leviticus 16 says that the reason this was done was to make an atonement for the holy place. But if you read the whole chapter, you see there that Aaron, the high priest, whoever he was at whatever particular time, had to make an atonement for himself in Leviticus 16. He had to then make an atonement for the place of offering, and then he had to make an atonement for the people. You remember also that the way that the sins were handled in the Levitical law in Leviticus 16 was that there was a scapegoat. In fact, there were two kid goats that were brought to the tabernacle on this day of atonement. First off, a bullock was offered for the sins of Aaron and his family, and the blood of that bullock was sprinkled. But then the blood of the kid goat that was going to be sacrificed was sprinkled on the ark on the mercy seat. It involved blood. Every single time there was atonement, there was blood. Then you also remember then that the high priest put his hands on the horns of the goat that was going to be sent off into the wilderness and confessed the sins of the Israelites, laid the sins figuratively on the head of that goat, and then that goat was sent off into the wilderness. Well, let's think about that for a minute. I'm sure that was quite a moment when the high priest was standing before all the people confessing the sins of those Israelites. 
and laying them on the horns of that goat. Wow, sometimes that was a quite a revelation. I mean, think about the years when, well, Cosby committed fornication pretty much as a slap in the face of God in front of the people. Think about the times when there were faithless spies. Think about the times when the people murmured and complained. Think about the times when there had been Dathan, Korah, and Abiram in the assembly. Think about, just think about Nadab and Abihu. Think about the sins that were laid on that goat and were confessed aloud as that goat was being put out of the camp. Now, I want us to notice something that's very important. The sins were forgiven. That's pretty clear. It was atonement. But the sins were not done away. The sins were still somewhere. The sins were carried away into the wilderness. Those sins were still somewhere until Christ died on the cross. And then we read about that total absolution of sin, that total doing away with of sin when we get over to Hebrews chapter 9. So let's turn there again and let's read the end of Hebrews chapter 9. We see for where a testament is, verse 16, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. We're moving into the new covenant. Jesus died so that his will could be enforced. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. We know that. A person's will doesn't come into effect until the death occurs. Whereupon, even the first testament wasn't dedicated without blood. There always had to be blood. That was the sprinkling of the mercy seat, uh, among other things. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has enjoined to you. Now get this. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged or cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. So it was necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. So what he's saying here is that the holy place and the tabernacle were shadows of something that's far better. Our holy place is in heaven. Our blood, Jesus Christ, was given on the cross, and then he went to advocate for us. We don't have to have a day of atonement once a year because our blood was perfect. And our advocate rose from the dead, and he is in our most holy place, which is heaven, today. For Christ isn't entered into the holy place made with hands, like the tabernacle, which are the figures of the true, the real thing, but he went into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. He doesn't have to go in there with the blood of bulls and goats. If he did that, he would have had to suffer every year since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment, listen, verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. How many times? Once. 
And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's going to come again. And sin, he's not going to be bearing sin then. Because he already did it once for all. He doesn't have to bear sins again, but he's just going to get us and take us into the holy of holies. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there into perfect. Those people could never be perfected. Their sins were forgiven, but their sins were still there on the head of that goat. They were just taken out of the camp. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. You know what? If they had been totally absolved, they wouldn't have had to do this year after year after year. But they did it year after year because they wouldn't have had to do it because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. They would have been continually cleansed as we are, First John 1, 7. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. I want to say it one more time, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It took the blood of the perfect Lamb of God to take away sins. So, according to Leviticus 16, number 10, what did Aaron have to have always in his hand when he approached the mercy seat? Well, it says that he had to have incense beaten small. But by inference here, because it says it over and over again, he had to have blood. Let's look at Leviticus 16 and then we'll be done with this. Maybe we should have started in Leviticus 16. But let's look at Leviticus 16 for just a minute. And let's look at all the sprinklings of the blood. Verse 4, He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen miter shall he be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. There are mikvahs all over Israel where priests wash before going into tabernacles and later synagogues. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering, and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. First, he had to clean himself. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door and cast lots on the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel, or the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. So the one that was sacrificed had to be killed, slain, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat. This is so interesting. Then Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house, and kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, a whole bullock for the household of Aaron. And then he shall take a censer full of burning coals before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony that he die not. I think that's really interesting because... When the priest went in there, he was the only one in there, and he only went in once a year, but still there had to be this cloud between him and the Lord. It says the Lord's between the cherubims, and so he had to have that cloud between him and the Lord so that he die not. And he takes the blood of the bullock and sprinkles it with his finger on the mercy seat. 
And before the mercy seat, he sprinkles of the blood with his fingers seven times. He's got blood in his hands. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he's put blood for himself. He had to have blood. He's put blood for the people now with the kid goat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle that remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. So he's making an offering, even a blood offering, even for the place of the atonement. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goes in to make an atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. The altar had to be purified. And this is the one outside the holy place where the people can see. And when he had made an end of reconciling or atoning for the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he brings in the live goat. Here's the part that we talked about, the awkward part. Aaron lays his hands on the head of the live goat and confesses over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. And he puts them on the head of the goat and sends him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. I think that's interesting that it says a fit man, somebody could, who could handle it and make sure that goat got out there in the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities to a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and leave him there and wash his flesh again with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. Verse 26. And he that let go the goat for the scapegoat has to come back and wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp. And they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their dung. And he that burns them shall then wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. Blood. Blood from the bullock, blood from the goat, and the, then the sins were laid on the scapegoat and sent into the wilderness. But ladies, our sins, our sins, are not on a scapegoat that goes into the wilderness. Our sins are forever gone. Our sins are cleansed. Our sins are purged because we didn't have a bull or a goat. We had the perfect Lamb of God who overcame death, the curse of sin, and went into the most holy place, which is the heavens for us, and continually advocates for us. I love this. I love this passage. I love it when I put it with Hebrews chapter 9. And I see that Cindy Colley doesn't have to depend on imperfect blood to take my sins into the wilderness and forget about them. Cindy Colley is, has, enjoys 
the absolute absence of sin because of that precious blood of the perfect Lamb of God, which took away my sin. Praise Him for that. So thankful that we live under the new covenant. Now the blood reached back and cleansed forever, absolved those sins that were carried off into the wilderness. But I live in a time when He presently is in the most holy place for me, advocating, and He will let me come to live with Him forever in that holy place with God the Father. What a great blessing we have to be living under the new covenant. Okay, I hope you have a great day. I hope this encourages you as it has encouraged me. And next time we're going to talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And exactly do we know what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Um, is there any sort of truth or hope in Raiders of the Lost Ark of the Covenant? What exactly do we know about the about the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant. Hope you have a great day and I'll look forward to next time.